back to the Clemson podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Boston College preview. I'm, I'm your host today, Cody Fowler. I'm here with Ben Walty. Ben, how's everything going? Uh, not too bad. It's a great week to not be a South Carolina Gamecock. Oh, good one. <laughs> Bazinga. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, well, today we're going to preview Boston College. We got uh, Tolly, who's not with us today. Our normal host is going to be interviewing one of his... Uh, one of his friends, a Boston College graduate, um, former broadcaster for the university radio station. So we'll get a little bit of banter there. Um, but first, uh, let's start off by just saying condolences to Landry Noko. Uh, his father passed away, so you know thoughts and prayers to to him and his family. Um, and then on a brighter note, Tony Elliott, who him and his wife just gave birth to their baby boy, Ace Elliott. That's quite a name. Yeah, sounds like he's going to be a starting pitcher rather than a football player. Hey, we'll take him. If he wants to come to Clemson, we'll take him uh, for whatever sport he wants to play. I'm sure Monty Lee approves. Yeah, absolutely. So going to our beers, I'll, let, I'll kick it to you because you provided us with the, the beverages tonight. What are we drinking, Ben? Well, I keep promising that I'm going to go away from the IPAs, uh, giving all the chatter on the comments section of STS. And uh, tonight I actually came through... Uh, Made good on that promise. Tonight we've got a silly sour ale. It's uh, it is from Belgium, but it's you know kind of in the spirit of uh, playing Boston College. It's actually imported uh, by a company out of Middleton, Massachusetts. So not a bad beer. What do you think? No, I, I like it. I'm not a fan of most sours, but this one's got less of that like sweet sour crazy aftertaste. It's more more refined. So, uh, yeah, I'd say this is definitely quality, one of the better ones I've had. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, one uh, one other nugget here. So we, we talked a lot about beers. Um, some people might drink wine. Maybe they're more martini guys. I don't know. But one thing we all have in common, we all probably went to Clemson or, you know, we're around the university. What's your favorite Clemson bar? Well, my favorite, which is probably most people's, was always Tiger Town Tavern. Um, you know, I just liked the atmosphere. It wasn't kind of a clicky bar by any means. It was just your everyday, normal guy's bar. Um, loved to play pool. I played a lot of pool while I was there. I loved it in the summer uh, when it wasn't packed. That was really awesome. Then I loved going upstairs uh, on Saturday nights and, you know, finishing up our, our pool games after midnight. Yeah, I haven't been back in quite some time, but I can't imagine they still smoke in the upstairs. Uh, which it was like just a fog of smoke up there, but I don't know. It was it was cool. I would go to overtime generally. Yeah, I didn't notice I was a smoker back then. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, I'll say my favorite bar was TDs. It's kind of the other end of the spectrum. It's not it's not the other end of the spectrum. It's the other end of the street with all the uh, the clicky bar clicky bars in between. Uh, I always liked TDs. I just thought it was a good space. Yeah, you know they had like the back bar. Um, if they had like you know a band or someone, they could they could uh, put that front area. They could zone it out. I thought it was pretty cool. And then I was like, there was a place that was short lived called Griffin's. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know if you were there. Yeah, I don't recall it. They used to have a Greek restaurant right around the corner. Right. Well, they replaced that with this place called Griffin's, and I think it was only there for two years. But I really I thought that was really it was yeah right next to the Little Cricket. Uh, yeah, it would be the first one gotcha. you'd be walking up on. So that, yeah, they had a nice little patio area. But anyway, that those two bars were, were my favorite. Um, so let's let's get into the the meat here. So Spurrier resigned. He did not retire. He resigned um, just uh, yesterday. And what's what's your take, Ben? Yeah, first came out that he was retiring. Um, I found that hard to believe because always felt like 
it seemed like he was looking for a way out. Then he comes out and says he's resigning, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, I think it's a total cop-out, um, and I mean, it's not that I feel bad for the University of South Carolina by any means, but plain and simple, it, it, it kind of reinforces what I think about him uh, as a person, and he quit on his team. I mean, there's nothing much more you can say like that. Middle of the season, I mean, let, let me read this quote. Um, my answer has always been the same. If it starts going south, starts going bad, then I need to get out. That's what he said? Yeah, that's what he said. So while, while he's doing well, he sticks around, but they have a you know mediocre year last year after, I think, four seasons, three seasons in a row with 11 wins, going 11-2 or something like that. And then he has one mediocre season, and then this season doesn't start off well, and he quits? I mean, that's, he quit on his team. I don't see any other way around that unless there's a health issue we don't know about. Yeah, well, I, I don't think there is a health issue, and I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be so hard on him. I don't think South Carolina fans are very hard on him. I don't think they're. I'm actually. Are you not a little bit surprised the way the national media? I mean, granted, he had a great coaching career. He did a lot for the the sport, and you know, bias aside, you know, you got to give him some props for the work that he did, having such a long, successful career. But they're not really making much of this, like quitting in the middle of the season. You're talking about. You know, these 18-year-old kids, these 17-year-old kids that you recruit to come to the school, you know, you, you, you tell them, you know, we'll, we'll make all your dreams come true, and then you quit on them halfway through the season, and no one's really saying anything. Yeah, I think that's a little bit out of respect, although I, for what he has done. Um, however, I've, I've seen a lot of national media pundits actually call him a quitter and be kind of hard on him. Um, and to think that, oh, I've, he's you know coached this long and he's done so much that he deserves to say when he'll walk away. We don't know if Ray Tanner down there asked him to leave. But, again, I don't see any other way around uh, looking at it. Other than that, he quit on his team. When, when the going got tough, he quit. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to be able to do well, but can you endure the hard times? That really makes you appreciate Dabo more for everything that... He went to taking over for Tommy Bowden, losing five in a row to to South Carolina and having to go through that, and us as Clemson fans having to go through that. Like, that's not easy for us. But he stuck with it, and he's building a powerhouse program through the bad times, through a 12-man recruiting class. And he's sticking with it. Obviously, different ages, but still. I'm not, I mean, you have a little bit of bias coming through. I feel like... I'm, you know, I definitely, I'm pro Clemson, but I don't like engage or have as much disdain, I guess, there for the, for the, you know, Carolina fan base and their coach. So I, I look at it as, yeah, he, he did quit and it's kind of, I think Greeny from Mike and Mike, he, he mentioned it. He's yep. like, yeah, he quit. There's no other way to say it. It's kind of shameful, but at the same time, he did a lot for that university. And you're not talking about, you're not talking about Clemson. It's South Carolina. I mean, and what I mean by that is they don't have the history of winning. He got them to levels they have ne- had never seen before. They're just grateful. I mean, what else can you be? He is seventy. Let's. Be, I mean, no health issues, but at the same time, he's seventy. You can't really compare him to Dabo. Dabo's well, 40, 45 now. Yeah, no, I I understand that, but again, he quit, and I just think he was looking for a way out. Again, he said resigning. He didn't take it off the table that he would never coach again. I wonder if this has anything to do with he sees some of the openings in college football. He sees Steve Sarkeesian getting fired from USC. I don't think there's any way in hell they would ever hire Spurrier. But what do you think is going through his mind? I have no idea. I don't think he plans to coach. I think he loves golf too much. And, I mean, I don't, I don't even say that as a joke. I think he's ready to hit the, 
hit the links and play some golf. And I, well, I mean, I don't know. I think we ha- he has an ego, and I expect to see him again in college football somewhere because I don't know if he goes out like this. I mean, you could be right. I'll say this. What? I'll, actually, let me ask you this. What do you think this means for South Carolina going forward? And, uh, and let's hey, don't let's. This is the SEC. There's a lot of money. They can. Uh, Arkansas pulled away Wisconsin's coach. Yeah, how's he doing? Not so hot. Yeah, exactly. No, South Carolina is not the crown jewel of the SEC by any stretch of the imagination. Arkansas's not either. Yeah, they may be able to have pulled off a few good years. Um, they've had two legendary coaches in the in a row, and what have they had to show for it? Uh, an SEC championship game appearance and five straight wins over Clemson. That's about it. It was a good run, man. It was better than our run. It was a run. I wouldn't say it was a good run. It's a good run for them. But, I mean, that, that's all it is. Uh, in the immediate future, it's a dumpster fire there right now. I really don't know. Uh, having seen the last two coaches they've gone through, and Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, and how they've fared and how things went down with Spurrier, it doesn't seem like a very attractive job right now. Yeah, I know it's the SEC. Uh, but, again, in the same uh, you know, in the same vein, it's the SEC. It's hard to win in that conference, especially when you're lowly South Carolina Gamecocks. That's a good point. I mean, look at look at the Tennessee guys, and um, even I guess it was it uh, Jim McClellan from from Florida. You know, you go in, yeah. I mean, you get punched in the mouth really quick. You can be good, you can be recruiting at a high level, but you know, if you can't put it together and put it together quickly, those fan bases will jump on you. And yeah, you're that's a good point. Perfect examples. I mean, look what look how much Tennessee has struggled after. Uh, getting rid of Philip Fulmer. And as good as they were uh, under his tenure, and they haven't really done anything since, and then Will Muschamp wasn't able to get anything done at Florida, a powerhouse in their own right. Yeah, I'm, and that's what I meant to say, Will Muschamp. But yeah, no, exactly. That was the example I was looking for. And, it, I mean, say what you want. The SEC is tough, but you do. There's money and there's resources. You're talking about a an area that's plentiful with recruiting. You have, you know, South Carolina's not even the best state. You're surrounded by Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, um, even uh, beyond that, like even Arkansas, Alabama. So a um, lot, lot of reasons that that could be a compelling job for, uh, for candidates. Well, yeah, in the meantime, they can hang their hat on their women's basketball program in equestrian. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, we're going to move on. So Dabo keeps ranting. Um, what, what, what this week stood out to you about Dabo? Um, so really it's more so the, the comments coming out from the players, which what I alluded to in our, uh, recap episode for the Georgia Tech game when we talked about that rant is that I think it was more so to show that you're sticking up for your players more than anything else. Um, I think he can tune it down just a little bit and that rant went on a little bit too long. I think the point got across, um, and at a certain point, just as a fan base, we just need to stop talking about Clemsoning because guess what? It's not a thing anymore. We know that if we keep saying it and showing that we're sensitive to it, then people are going to still keep writing about it because we're in the internet age of stories and clickbait and stuff like that. Uh, so it starts with us. Get over it. We are nearing an elite level right now with our football team. We're top five. We have bigger things to worry about than the word Clemsoning. We're about to turn that word into a completely different meaning. I hope so. And I, I think, aside from the whole Clemson thing, just Dabo's um, ranting, a little bit of the, I don't want to say shenanigans, but he's been, uh, I've, I've said the word sideshow to, to some degree, and I, I like Dabo. I think I love his passion, and I think it's 
Uh, it bleeds through and people see that and it resonates well with, like you said, the players. That's who that's who he cares about more than anything or his players. That helps in recruiting too. Yeah, you can't yeah, you can't say it doesn't help with recruiting. Um, my my only point would be there's a guy sitting in the background that's that it's not really lost in all this, but his name's Brent Venables. And I think I think there needs to be a little bit of like and you and granted Brent Venables might not be here very longer, but I, I wish Dabo would just be like, hey, you know, look at the work Brent Venables has done, you know, taking our defense to where it is. And, you know, by doing that, he might just actively say, hey, here's your next head coach, whoever's looking. But I, I think he deserves some credit. I think he's probably going to get that offer regardless. Yeah. I mean, I guess my take on it is, is I, I do think Dabo, how many ever years he's now been in the job so far um to a certain extent he's still learning on the job on a lot of things as well as he's done and he's been great he's done nothing but progress this program and done better but he hasn't been a head coach in the great scheme of things for that long and this whole dealing with the media he's gotten better at and he's had some really great moments that we all love and i'm not saying that i want him to keep you know to to not keep doing this and not be who he is because that's part of what I love about him, how passionate he is, how passionate he is about Clemson, um, how complimentary he is of our fan base, how he sticks up for his players. I think there's a fine line. Uh, but for the most part, he hasn't done anything that com- that really embarrassed me, I would say. I mean, he's just he's sticking up for the team. Okay, maybe sometimes he goes a little overboard, but better overboard in a... You know, in a dabo way of supporting Clemson, than kind of in a negative way. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, I appreciate where he's coming from. I guess my thought at the end of the day is this: this is shaping up to be what you know what could be at least we'll say is a a special season, and I want to remember it for Ben Bulware, B.J. Goodson, you know, Shaq Lawson, Mackenzie Alexander. You know, the names on defense go on and on, and that's how I'm remembering it, and that's how I want nationally and everything else. That's how I want people to remember this Clemson team. Not you know Clemsoning. Well, yeah, and eventually the the your play on the field. If you're going to be a great team, your play on the field is just going to need to speak for itself. Um, however, you know you're going through a. We get through the kind of toughest or perceived toughest part of our schedule, and we're now deep into an ACC schedule and rest of the season schedule with South Carolina not being strong this year. Our schedule looks really weak. Yet we are a legitimate playoff contender. There's not a clear. Really, in my mind, I don't see another loss on our schedule this year. you got to keep your kids motivated going throughout the year, and I think that this is just part of that. We've seen this team. They're focused. They're motivated, even against some of these weaker opponents. They take it game by game. I think this may just be part of that, and he's not doing anything uh, insulting to other teams. Uh, he's not making a fool of himself or being disrespectful. And if what he's doing pushes this team forward and keeps us being great and ultimately leads to a playoff berth and a possible national championship, count me in. I'm all for it. Yeah, and then I'm with you. And I I would say the last thought is I think Dabo is a little bit smarter than anyone will give him credit for. They've often said, and I know my friends from South Carolina, they call him the aw shucks, just, you know, good old boy, you know, fun-loving car salesman that got a football or head, head coaching job, but he, he's smart. He knows how to motivate people. He knows how to mo- motivate people in groups, and he knows the value or the kind of the, the bad things that can come from media yeah. media and that perception. How many car salesmen do you know that use the word lugubrious in a sentence? I, I, don't, I don't think he can claim that word. I think that goes to <laughs> the Donald uh, guy from Notre Dame. Anyway, 
So I think now we're just going to really uh, quick, uh, totally again, our normal host uh, recorded a, a nice little bit with his with his friend. Again, he's a his name is Brian uh, Roundy, former uh, Boston College grad, but also he was a broadcaster with the the uh, student um, student radio station. So we're going to kick it to them for just a bit and let them uh, kind of talk about Boston College and what what to expect. All right, guys, uh, I'd like to welcome today my good friend Brian Roundy joining us on the podcast. Uh, Brian is a Boston College alumni and former WZBC broadcaster. Uh, he's based out here in San Francisco uh, with the rest of us. Hey, Brian, were you were you a color guy or the play-by-play? On uh, I did a, I did a little of both um, early on, kind of the when you're a freshman sophomore, you do a lot of the the color, um, and then as you progress through your the education at BC you got more opportunities to do play-by-play so um you know during football season you typically get to do I guess by my senior year I did two games um as play-by-play and uh one or two games as color as well but actually did play-by-play for the BC Clemson game down in uh Clemson our first year in the ACC in 05. Awesome. Yeah. You guys joined the ACC that year. And, um, I was just wondering like what, what it was like as a student and fan seeing Boston college transition from the big East to the ACC. I know for us, that was a big deal bringing you guys on and Virginia tech and Miami. Um, but yeah, how was that from your perspective? It was, it was really cool. Like I always say that I went, um, I went to BC during the best four year stretch possible without having seen a hockey national championship. They won the hockey national championship, two years before I got there and then the year after I graduated, but I had an, an, a pretty awesome four years there. Um, you know, we, we swept Notre Dame in football my four years there. We had a really, really good basketball program the entire time. Um, and then of course it was a great, uh, four years of football as well. You know, I mean, Tom O'Brien doing what he did best than every year going eight and three and winning a meaningless bowl game. But, you know, it was, it was really cool um, being there with that transition to the ACC. Obviously, when all those rumors started, the, the two obvious teams that were going to be making that move were Miami and Virginia Tech, right? Um, and yeah. that was the, you know, getting over that hump of 10 teams in the conference, and, and those two would have made it 11. Um, and always having the rumors that we might be the third, the third team to make the transition, um, but it was really cool uh, because those two teams was very clearly a move from the ACC to get stronger in football. Um, so you know BC, which had had some history in football, obviously with Doug Flutie, and around that time we were O line U and always competing and always putting up a team that could put up a fight. But yep. to be in the conversation with at that time Miami and Virginia Tech. Um, was pretty cool, uh, and it was a very exciting transition into the into the ACC, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of, I mean, it, it sounds like you had the opportunity to visit both big, let's say, Big East uh, away games for BC, um, and you know, experience the game day atmosphere with them, and then coming into the ACC. Anything stick out to you beyond the amazing Clemson atmosphere? Um, in terms of kind of the differences you uh, saw between the two conferences. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I think because, I mean, maybe just, you know, when you when you get to football in the South, um, things are a little a little more serious. Uh, so in, in the with some of these northern schools, some of the Big East schools, it was more of a, an environment, you know, fostering, 
student broadcasting and that sort of stuff. And every time we'd, we'd have an away game against the Big East school, there'd be a, um, you know, we'd have a spot to broadcast from our own booth. And I remember going down to that, that 05 game at Clemson. Um, and we got down there and we're, you know, checking in for our broadcast booth. They're like, yeah, we don't really have one of those for visiting student broadcasting teams, but we got, we got a good spot for you guys. And they actually had us set up in the camera well in the open air, um, with all the cameras broadcasting the game on TV. So we were basically behind the last row of, of fans in that, you know, at the back of that first level. Um, yep. you know, and, and when you have these broadcast booths, you, you have some protection from the sound and the noise and, you know, the, the last game that I broadcast on the road, at, you know, for, for BC was the prior year was um, at Villanova. And they played at, you know, the, the stadium where the Philadelphia Eagles play, um, which was a very different experience than this, you know, the, that amazing college game day atmosphere at, at Clemson. So, you know, we spent the entire game uh, screaming into our mics, barely able to hear ourselves think, let alone talk. And, um it was just a really, really cool experience being there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember we had that game. Um, we went to overtime. You guys beat us at home. Um, and then 06, I think we, we went to Boston, or basically Chestnut Hill. I think we lost that game because we missed two extra points. Um, and then you guys came to uh, – we might have won that despite uh, missing those extra points. And then, of course, the 2007 game, really I viewed that as Tommy Bowden's last hurrah. Um, Matty Ice definitely had a monster game and, and took it to us that year. But uh, you know, I feel like bringing you guys into the ACC, it kind of started out as, I don't want to call it like the seeds of a rivalry, but um, we definitely it's, had, yeah, we kind of had that dynamic. Yeah, it, it seemed that way at first, right? And I think one of the things that, that really struck me, um, you know, as is what makes Clemson such, a, such an awesome environment is, you know, it's obviously, you know, the Clemson fans care a lot about their football game and are very competitive, but at the same time, they're very welcoming. So I remember, you know, after the game, after uh, Brian Toll scored that touchdown in overtime to, to win the game for us, I'm sitting there screaming my head off into the mic, and all of a sudden the entire stadium is quieted down, and there are these two goofballs from Boston screaming into their microphones <laughs> in the, the back row of the, the crowd and a bunch of angry eyeballs turning around and glaring at us. But, you know, as soon as we went off air, there were a bunch of people that, that were hanging around and, and wanted to talk to us about what Boston is like. And, you know, there was already a, a lot of talk from a lot of the fans we spoke to about the excitement to be able to go up to Boston. You know, I think a lot of folks who are um, diehard college football fans use that, use football as a, as a way to, to experience new cities and visit new parts of the country. And there were a lot of people that were really excited um, and we're, we're even saying, you know, I really hope we play you guys in September so we can catch a Red Sox game at Fenway. Um, I think a lot of people were, were excited to, you know, to have a school from Boston in, in the league. And so I think that's that kind of shows, you know, how welcome all of the Clemson fans are. And that was reiterated as well when, you know, I went down in, in 09. You were at that game, too. I remember catching the tailgate with you. And, yep. you know, it was yep. Once again, just walking around in all of our Boston gear, but yet everyone wanted us to stop at their tailgate and have a beer with them and chat. So yeah. really, really cool experience. And yeah, I mean, it really did seem early on that, that it could have been, um, you know, a, a newish rivalry in the, in the ACC until of course these recent years of, uh, Boston college quote unquote football that, um, I really don't want to spend a 
whole lot of time talking about because it's so painful. Um, <clears throat> we don't have to dwell too much on it. I mean, I, I think throughout just the, in my mind, the brand of Boston college football is um, not only just what, what um, highlight plays you guys have been able to put together in the college game, but some of the, the ranks of players you guys put into the league and into the NFL. And that's still been true even through the last, last few years here, um, you know, both on offense and defense. So I think that's something that, you know, probably will continue even with this year's team. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, during the stretch when I was at BC, I was at kind of the, maybe in the middle ground or near the tail end of, of O-line U where every single season we were having a, a player from our offensive line drafted in the league. And that streak ended, um, I forget exactly what year, but within the last few years, I want to say, and, you know, we've had a couple, a couple of linemen drafted in, in the last couple of years, but, you know, for, for years, some of the best O-linemen in the league were guys that, that went to BC. And, and now what's interesting is you look across the league and there's a lot, a lot more defensive players, obviously Luke Keekley yep. um, with uh, Carolina Panthers is, is arguably the best middle linebacker in the league with Bobby Wagner. Um, you've got a lot of edge guys, some, some linebackers, some defensive linemen. Um, and that's obviously the strength of the BC team this year. And it has been in recent years, the run D has been just outstanding. Um, but unfortunately if you can't put any points up, doesn't really matter how uh, how much you limited limit the opposition. Yeah, I mean, I think what you what you've alluded to here is injuries really slowed down BC's offense. Um, I think you guys had your your starting quarterback for the season uh, go down in that Florida State game. Clearly, your defense has been putting up a great great season thus far. I think you guys are the advanced stats guys have you guys in the top five defensively. Um, you kept that high powered Florida State offense to seven points. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that, you know, that's true on the one side of the ball on the offensive side, you know, getting points on the board has been difficult. Um, seems like every season I see, I see a Flutie on that team. Is there a Flutie there that you guys can, can rely on to kind of lead you, lead you through the way the rest of the year? I, I'd like to think so, but you know, what, what our, uh, our QB shown this year in, in limited time hasn't shown a lot to uh have faith at least this season but you never know i mean players on on every team everywhere can can improve over the course of their their four years or five years at the school and there's always a hope with that last name that someone's gonna do something really cool and, and emerge as a star but you know we got to see something better yeah absolutely i think we you know we ourselves were in a spot about a year ago where we had um, the quarterback we were most excited about, who's now our starter, Deshaun Watson, go down to injury. Um, we had a, a guy who was backing up Taj Boyd all those years come in and start. And I think he he was dealing with some injuries as well. But you know, we we had the the number one defense in the country a year ago. I think we understand the plight of, of BC this year. Just seeing kind of you know you can look at it through one lens of all that great defensive performance kind of going to waste with an offense that can't you know, why is that defense in so many close games if they're dominating? Um, can't the offense kind of pick us up? So um, I think that's something probably that hopefully BC can correct with a hopefully easier ACC schedule coming up. But things probably don't get too easy for you guys coming up this weekend uh, with the matchup with Clemson. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. Obviously, Clemson being a, a ranked team as they are and you know, BC, especially the last couple of weeks, showing a complete inability to do anything on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, if we can, if we can limit you guys to to less than twenty points, which wouldn't surprise me. 
I think that's that's a win for the defense, but at the same time, you know, it's it's just been impossible for us to put up any points. So, you know, I'm not not going into this weekend's game with a lot of faith in the Eagles, but hopefully we can at least make it interesting with our defense. Absolutely. I think it will be. And, um, you know, uh, we're, we're hoping to have a kind of a, a drama free, stress free game on our end, but we know they're going to play us tough. You guys always do. So, um, we will see, um, had a couple of other kind of unrelated to this season's team questions for you. Um, Syracuse and Clemson have turned into, I guess you could call it maybe a one-sided rivalry since they've joined the ACC last season. Uh, knowing that they were your Big East cronies back in the day, like what's your stance on Syracuse overall? You know, I think it's it gets tough when you've got multiple teams in the same conference with the color orange as their primary color. You know, there's you you can only have one really, and maybe they're coming in here and saying, "Look, we are the orange." You Clemson, that's exactly you Clemson folks that. can't yeah. have that color. But you know, it, it's interesting, right? I mean, I alluded back to earlier when uh how exciting it was to to join the acc and and syracuse and the rest of the big east schools those guys were kind of looking at it as you know the two best the two best football schools in the conference plus bc were all taken off you know for greener pastures yet it seemed that you know a lot of the schools that were still in the big east at the time looked at it as as a mistake for for our schools to be making that move and obviously the landscape has changed drastically since that happened um yep. the big east was turned into such a basketball power and uh, what syracuse is known for but you know what ended up happening not just to the big east but to conferences around the country after that move from from the acc or the big east to the acc from bc and miami and virginia tech um i think when syracuse had that opportunity they said you know what yeah maybe we Maybe we we didn't think it was a great idea for those other three schools to leave the Big East, but now it's time for us to us to make the move. And yeah, I mean, I think that's there's always been a, a, a bit of a, a rivalry between Syracuse and BC. Um, you know, our last year in the Big East, there was you know we, we, we traded some some good moments and bad moments. Uh, you know, we we joined the ACC a year a year later than Miami and Virginia Tech, so we were playing a depleted big east and had a chance at, at a bcs bowl and all we had to do was beat syracuse at home the saturday after thanksgiving in football and let a uh, backup safety who was starting at running back that day run all over us and we lost that game which was just a miserable experience yet you know we kind of returned the favor a little bit by beating them um in basketball uh in a, in a very exciting game where you know bc was ranked number i think three in the country at the time syracuse came into to connie forum at five and uh we beat them and that was just an awesome experience but you know i think syracuse is is a school that you know they lost a lot of their big rivals um the georgetowns and um you know, in the St. John's and some of the some of the big basketball rivalries they have by joining the ACC, and they're probably just looking for looking for a new school to uh, to strike something up with. Yep, I mean, I think we, you know, our our respective strengths are opposite sports. We'll see what their basketball program can do in light of you know some issues on that side. But uh, it was just interesting. I feel like they came in a year ago. They're touting the orange thing that you mentioned, and um, kind of picking a fight with one of the. I don't know, one of the um, incumbent top dogs in the ACC. So it's kind of funny. Um, 
And maybe to wrap this up here, um, one thing we do on the podcast, we talk about the beer we've been drinking or the beer we are drinking. Um, I guess I guess I'll share first. I'm drinking a Breckles Brown Ale uh, from the Anchor Brewery out here in San Francisco. If you guys haven't heard of this, if you like Newcastle um, or other types of brown ales, de- definitely a good beer you should check out. It's from the same guys that make Anchor Steam. Uh, but Brian, what, any favorite mi- micro brews you've been drinking of late? Uh, bonus well, points for East, anything from the East Coast as well. Well, th- it is pumpkin season. You know, October is has arrived, and with that, the amazingly delicious pumpkin beers. Um, you know, I think pumpkin beers are very hotly debated. Um, some folks like pumpkin beers that are very pumpkin-y. Some, some folks, you know, don't enjoy ones that are a little too sweet. So I've actually got two. Um, one that I've, I've got chilled in my fridge right now and just waiting for the right the right day to to crack it open and that's the um the smashed pumpkin from shipyard brewing um which is one of my favorite uh one of my favorite pumpkin beers that's from um portland maine is where shipyard is from um delicious beer you can get that in the the good 22 ounce bottles with the they've got like a gold foil on the top um Cool. So it's a, it's a nice experience. Um, and then my, my personal favorite pumpkin beer is called Pumpkin. That's from Southern Tier Brewing in New York. Um, and that one's like drinking a pumpkin pie. I can't have more than one in a sitting. It's just, <laughs> it's super sweet, um, but really, really tasty. Um, they make a lot of really good flavored beers there at Southern Tier. Their pumpkin's good. They're, they make a creme brulee beer that's really good. But the pumpkin, it, to me, is just it's perfection. Very good. I'm going to have to try both of those. Um, well, hey, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, looking forward to the game this weekend. You know, great as always to catch up. And, um, you know, thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Nick. You got it. So in, in podcast fashion, we get some nice beer recommendations from uh, the former BC grad. Thanks, Brian Rowney, for joining us. Um, and Ben, what did you take from that little interview there? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's interesting um, to take a look back at how BC entered the ACC coming along with Virginia Tech and Miami. Uh, that was a, kind of a big jump for ACC football because that was at a time when the Big East was actually strong in football and, and those three teams were strong. So this really looked like it was going to be a big shot on the arm for the ACC um, strength-wise for football teams. But when you really look at... Um, what has happened since then, uh, Virginia Tech, Miami, Boston College may have had a few good years there to start off with, BC under Matt Ryan, of course, um, and still, I guess, Tom O'Brien still coaching them at that point uh, before he moved on to uh, North Carolina State. But all three of those teams have really gone downhill since then, and none of those teams are really what they used to be. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what Miami was and Virginia Tech was in the early 2000s, if they could have continued that coupled with the ascension of Florida State and Clemson. Obviously, Georgia Tech's always good. I mean, that's that's a conference that could rival the SEC. So it is it is kind of surprising how not only have they not really lived up to expectations, Virginia Tech has for the most part in the first, you know, for the first, what, seven or eight years. But not recently, though. They, they've even been on a downhill slide. And then, of course, with Miami, you know, the Al Golden comes along and they think they're starting to turn it around. They're not doing as well. Um, and, and really, the, when, when Duke is emerging as one of the top three yeah. strongest teams in the ACC, 
there there's a problem top to bottom and and these big east former big east teams really haven't panned out yeah i mean if you get to say what's the worst case scenario back in what was it 2005 what's the worst case scenario and like we're kind of looking at it there's no way we could expect all these teams to have performed so poorly and they they have yeah i mean we've got we got louisville in now which hopefully um is gonna help our our conference strength uh they talked about syracuse in this episode and i honestly i i don't ever see syracuse not in the immediate future for sure uh, being any sort of a strong team i'll go as far as to say this i don't think Dabo ever loses to syracuse uh, and he shouldn't and it's looking like the one thing that I, that one redeeming quality of syracuse their basketball team could go out the by the wayside as well jim Beheim. Those, yeah, the and the he's sanctions. old too. Yeah, the sanction and he's old, and I, they they might have a year or two left, and then we'll see what happens with that program. But I mean, I don't know if there if there's any way to get rid of them at this point. But I, I don't see them adding any value aside from just long road trips, which that's the opposite of value. No, no one wants to go to Syracuse. Yeah, and and a few more feet of snow. That's about it. Um, but taking about the, to BC here. Um, you know, they were actually doing pretty well under Tom O'Brien. They had some really great years. Um, he had some success there from 96 through, uh, uh, or maybe it was 97 through 06, something like that, um, about a 10-year period. And the program really went downhill uh, when he left and his players started filtering out of that program. Um, they had Spaziani come in there. Um, he, by all accounts, did not was not a great coach, and then uh, now they got uh, Adazio in there that is trying to turn things around. Um, but it, they're really in rebuilding mode at this point. You know, they're three and three on the year. They're zero and three in the ACC. They're coming off a really, really ugly three to nothing loss to Wake Forest. A three to nothing loss to Wake Forest. Um, I I didn't watch any of that game. I saw the highlight at the end where they uh, the quarterback made a bad decision to spike the ball with less than three seconds left. Uh, which is illegal uh, in college football now. Uh, so that really comes down to not only they're a really bad offensive team, really, really poor coaching. Um, they do have, however, the number one ranked defense in the country. Now, part of that, who have they played? Uh, not a lot of really strong teams, although they have played Florida State and uh, held them. You know, they lost, but you know, it's held them to 14 points. Yeah, well, there's two ways to look at that, too. One is like a defense like ours that has a pretty good offense – the def- a lot of times the second team players come in around the third or fourth quarter and the stats kind of get thrown off a little bit. But the other way to look at it is they all oftentimes get put with real uh, put in a situation where they're in really bad field position because of their offense. So I'm, I'm actually surprised at, at how well they've done. And I think it's legitimate. Um, I, I don't think they have the athletes on the outside, but um, they can, they can take your running game away from you. So I'm, I'm very interested to see that matchup. Um, it's going to, obviously, again, it's always going to come down to Watson. How dynamic can we be as an offense? Um, you got to be more than just a one-dimensional team. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's start off talking about their offense a little bit. We know they have a really great defense. We'll get into that later. Um, they've really been decimated by injuries this year. They have about 10 players that they've lost on the offensive side of the ball to injury, uh, including their starting quarterback, Darius Wade, uh, in the FSU game. And this is really huge because... He's the only guy that took significant snaps uh, with the first-team offense ever. Um, now they're down to a, a kind of a quarterback battle between um, 
Troy Flutie, uh, son of Doug Flutie, and then Jeff Smith. It's and a nephew of uh, nephew Doug nephew yeah. of Doug Flutie. There's a lot of Fluties, um, and and Jeff Smith, and nobody's really stepping up, and that's what Adazio is looking for. He hasn't really he hasn't named a starter for our game. He's waiting for somebody to step up and take over, whether in practice or in the game, and neither of them have really showed up yet. Yeah, I mean, you got a you got a Flutie. So I mean, I, I actually I did see the Florida State game, and I, I saw nothing from either one of these guys. Um, they're they're going to be in trouble because uh, as bad as they've been, they haven't faced a, a, a defensive line like like ours. So we it, it's important that we not only pressure them, but we create some turnovers, whether it's uh, through interceptions or through or through fumbles. Yeah, I I totally think so. So you know. With these young guys in there that need some time to develop, they are not opening up the offensive at all. Um, they've been very vanilla. And, and part of the reason is because, and this is something that uh, Brian St. Pierre, a former BC quarterback, former NFLer for a short time, um, when talking about uh, these two young quarterbacks that they have, he mentioned this. It, it, he thinks it's harder to make the jump from high school to college uh, than from college to the NFL as a quarterback, and we're really seeing that play out here. That being said, um, <laughs> I'm really positive about Deshaun Watson then jumping to the NFL. He could win a Super Bowl his first year. But that aside, um, I, that's really the issue here is these guys are just young, and they need a lot of time to develop, and that's not going to happen right away, and their offense is really, really taking a hit because of it. Yeah, so any chance, what are the chances that this will be a shutout? And we'll say a defensive shutout. We might give up a crazy botch snap or something like that. I hope that's not the case. And I hope oh, I hope there's no pick sixes or anything like that. But what are the chances our defense shuts their offense out? Well, again, really conservative play calling. They're calling obvious, you know, running plays that teams know that they're going to run the ball. They run the same play three times in a row. So it's, it's really easy to defend that. They only have seven points in three ACC games this year. Obviously, that's not an, a lot. You know, seven against Duke. Um, and, and that's it. Um, I think there's a high chance for a sh- uh, shutout for our defense. I mean, as good as our defense is, even with the backups coming in, and we know they should as long as our offense puts some points up on the board, uh, our backups, uh, second and third stringers, should get a lot of action in this game, especially in the secondary and the linebacker position. I still think there's a high probability for a shutout just because BC's offense is that bad. They have, yeah. no, they have no big playability. Yeah, and, and you put them on the 20... There's a, a difference. You put them on the 25-yard line, there's no way they, they're scoring. But if you if you give them field position on, on their 25-yard line, yeah, they're, they're probably going to score, you know, at the very least, a field goal. So, yeah, I guess that's a, an important consideration there. But And I'm not confident, though, that we can put them on their... Uh, <laughs> on our or their 25 yard line considering how our kickoff game has been going but even if they're the you know if they're on their side of the field it's gonna be very hard for them to drive you're not going to see many sustained drives at all in this game from the bc offense yeah and i i agree i can't see anything otherwise i'll go back you know going back to what you're saying about seeing some second team guys this is a great opportunity we're at home allow a few guys we we've been desperately needing some linebacker depth to develop this game and that's um we need to see some guys get some action some real some real action you know and and the same same can be said for our secondary we we, you've seen a lot of the starters playing four quarters 
it'd be good to see some guys get some reps. And this is all assuming that we're we're winning. Maybe maybe there's a blowout, um, but we we're gonna need that going forward for uh, for Florida State. And who else? On our schedule, who else is significant? I don't even know anymore. But I think just uh, <laughs> in general, we're just gonna need those guys to get some get some reps. Miami, I don't know. Uh, whoever we play in the ACC championship game, which I guess is Duke, at this point. Yeah. Yes. Powerhouse Duke. Yes. Yeah. Um, so again, really br- breaking down, kind of finished off breaking down their offense. Again, like I said, they had no big playability on the field, and they ha- they don't have a guy that can pass the ball. Uh, John Hillman, their leading rusher, is out with a broken foot. That was their best chance uh, kind of for big plays from the backfield. Now they have to rely on Tyler Rouse and Marcus Outlaw. Uh, their best wide receiver, uh, Thad Smith, is kind of the best option for them to break a big play in the downfield passing game. But that's all I've got. You know, you, your best corner, in our case, McKenzie Alexander, is going to lock him down. And then you're lining their other mediocre, below-average wide receivers up against Cordrea Tankersley, who has been phenomenal this year. They don't have a passing game. They're leading, their leader in receptions this year is their fullback, Bobby Wofford, with eight catches. To put that in comparison, Artavis Scott has 29. Yeah, I think, I think you kind of alluded to it, though. It's, we, can, we can shut down their best receiver, Thad Smith, but is Mac Alexander going to get a little bit bored just chasing a guy around all day? I mean, it's He'll be most- talking trash. I don't think he gets bored. <laughs> <laughs> that Smith's gonna leave this game crying. I feel bad for him, but you kind of you kind of get a little lazy. I mean, not necessarily lazy, but you, get, you lose your discipline a little bit. You want to get in there, and make some tackles because there's probably gonna be a lot happening at the line of scrimmage. We don't want to see what we saw at the Georgia Tech game where they're they're getting some some long plays and there's a guy downfield wide open. They run a different type of offense. I mean, it was not a triple option. I mean, they, they're just gonna you know. They have a very vanilla running game and a very limited passing game, and that's about it. They're not dynamic at all. They don't do trick plays. Uh, it's going to be very tough for them to move the ball at all on our defense. Yeah, and I'm not saying that what's this is going to be a function of you know the run game. I'm saying our our interior line is going to our eat them up. whole defensive line is going to eat them up. There's going to be a lot happening at the line of scrimmage. And if I'm a cornerback, if I'm Mackenzie Alexander, I want to go up and make a tackle. So, let's, anyway. Let's put it this way. They've scored seven points in three ACC games this year. We're the best defense they faced out of the, out of the previous three ACC teams. It's not going to get any better for them. Yeah, I agree. So, let's, let's they, flip they it. They might throw up negative points. <laughs> Can you do that? Is it like fantasy? I, I don't know. If Ron Cherry's reffing, you might be able to. <laughs> let's, let's flip it to their defense because, I mean, at least that's, I mean, I don't know how you get this wide of a, a spectrum between how good your how bad your offense can be and how good your defense can be but they do have a legitimate defense well part of that is because the the amount of injuries they have on offense uh but then you have steve adazio coming in i mean you can credit him for this is maybe you can take away a little bit for what they've done on offense and bad play calling um and some kind of bad game management on that side of the ball but the defense you you can say the opposite they're ranked number one in the country right now you may question who they've played and they've Play teams like Maine and Howard. Northern Illinois, they beat, held them to 14 points, which usually they're a decent team. Other than that, held FSU to 14 points, Duke to 9, and Wake Forest to 3. Obviously, Wake Forest not an offensive juggernaut. Duke, okay, yeah, they're leading the Coastal, but they're still, to a certain extent, Duke. Um, At the same time, Boston College is always a tough team to face. Uh, They do have a tough defense. We saw that last year when we played them. So, 
a little bit of concern right now. They're only allowing seven points a game, under 100 passing yards, uh, about 42 yards a game rushing. Uh, but have they seen an offensive like Clemson? I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's and it's not just you know you talk about Dalvin Cook who they played or um, you know against in the Florida State game he got injured right? Well, he didn't get injured in that game, um, but he he had fifty four yards on fifteen carries there. Um, it was a game after that um, against Wake Forest where Cook went down, had two carries for ninety four yards. Their backup running back Vickers comes in only had thirty three yards on ten carries. So I attribute to Florida State's rushing success uh, on Dalvin Cook alone and not necessarily their offensive line. So we flip it to our game. I know Dalvin Cook got limited to 54 yards in that BC game, but I would say that our offensive line is better than Florida State's is. So in this game uh, with Wayne Gallman and our offensive line that's improving game after game after game, I see us being more successful. I don't see them limiting us to 42 yards. That's for sure. Well, yeah, and, it, and all of that's it's a byproduct of how dynamic you can be as an offense. Are you, are you one-dimensional? Are you running it? And that's kind of what Florida State's relying on. We know where the ball is going in Florida State. Evan Goldson hasn't proven that he's a consistent passer. Davin Cook has proven that he is an amazing running back. And we can we can do it with Wayne Gallman. We can do it with Arcavis Scott on the outside through jet sweeps, Ray, Ray, Ray McLeod, same thing. And then also with our passing game, now Jordan Leggett being in, in the mix. So we, we have become more and more dynamic. We really need across to build the on. Board. Yeah. Across the board, yeah. We really need to build on what we did against Georgia Tech. And I don't care what defense or what this defense is ranked. We should be able to put up points. Yeah, I think so too. Again, we're very dynamic. Not just running the ball, but the passing game is starting to up, open up more. I don't think it's supposed to rain in Clemson. Finally, last two weeks we've been dealing with wet on the offense, but you still – See us open up the uh, the passing game against Georgia Tech with a little bit lighter rain. Um, so yeah, yeah, Boston College is a great defense. We're gonna have to grind some things out, but I still see us putting together drives and having some big plays just because we have the athletes. We have one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and Wayne Gallman is, you know, to put it simply, he's kicking ass right now. Yeah, I, I just enjoy watching that guy play. Um, maybe maybe they do have a tenacious defensive line, front seven, like. Give him a few yards, see, see what he can do. Yeah, Dalvin Cook may, you know, be athletic and, and kind of breaks the big plays and dance around and get around you. Gollum is just going to run you over. So let's see this BC defense, if they can handle a running back who's just going to run them over. Yeah, um, I can't wait. Love watching Gallman. Um Special teams, Ben, anything significant there? Yeah, if, if you're a team like BC and you have a terrible offense but you have a really, really good defense, then chances are you're going to be kicking some field goals uh, to try to stay in or possibly win some games. Uh, unfortunately, BC is not very good. Uh, between two kickers this year, they're 2-6 of six on field goals. Part of that have, has been to some bad holds. That's been an issue as well. But still, altogether, if you can't score touchdowns uh, but you are limiting teams in scorings, in scoring, you need to kick, and they're just not able to do it. So this is not a huge deal. Yeah, and they almost beat us years back just from their kicking game. Uh, anyway, kind of that smash, smash mouth, grind it out type, uh, type of you know affair. So 
Ultimately, Brent Venables, uh, he says the best D will win the game. What's your what's your thought there? Well, I completely agree with him. The best D will win the game, and the best offense will also win the game. And on both sides of the ball, I think that's us. We are an elite defense. Yeah, we're maybe in the top 10, I think, right now in the country in defense. And Boston College is ranked number one. But stacked up against who they've played, and then we're putting in guys... Uh, we're pulling away from teams or putting in guys in the uh, you know backups in a game like Georgia Tech. Um, we are the better defensive team, I think, ultimately, and I think that will be apparent in this game. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, we do need to continue to see our offensive line running game progress. Uh, how do they stand up against BC's defense? I think this is going to be one of those games where we see a true test across the line. And I really want to see us uh, step up and pass that test because every little time we pass one of these, we look more and more legitimate. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I say ultimately this game is there's not a lot we can take from it or, or that we can gain in terms of perception, in terms of um, adding to our resume. And, you know, and that's not necessarily entirely true, but you, you win by a few points, you win by uh, two touchdowns, and most, most people won't give you much credit. But you, you squeak one out by a touchdown or you know, less, and you lose, you lose some in terms of perception. So um, Brent Venable said the best D will win. That's, by the way, that's a convenient statement for him, knowing how much better our offense is than theirs. But uh, Deshaun Watson, let's talk about him for just a second. He had his kind of a breakout game, hopefully a turning point, uh, against Georgia Tech, you know, incredibly accurate. You saw a level of of just um, skill there, and and really just feeling comfortable with what it seemed against Georgia Tech that you hadn't seen up until then. And I hope he can maintain that against Boston College because uh, we need that. We need we need him playing at a very high level. Our running game has been a, a pleasant surprise. We need to see that passing game, like we said, Jordan Leggett, but also I want to see guys to Deion Kane, Ray Ray McLeod. Yeah. Trevion Thompson, I want to see them in the mix a little too. Well, and we talked about this with uh, talking about Peak and the Georgia Tech recap. You know, Kane came in and really stepped up. Maybe he steps into that Mike Williams uh, position and becomes that downfield threat. By the way, Dabo says Mike Williams is progressing nicely. Still not sure if he'll play again this year, but the fact that he's doing okay and will play again, that's that's very positive. But going back to Deshaun Watson, yeah, I really want to see him improve, continue to improve on that a- accuracy. We've seen some interceptions in recent games. Really want to limit those. Uh, the last thing, talking about the wide receivers, we haven't mentioned this. Hunter Renfro steps into the starting role, replacing Jermon Hopper. Let's see what he can do and what he brings to the table because we've seen him in a backup role really do some great things from his athletic ability to his hands. Uh, he's made some big catches so far this year and some really nice plays. Yeah, I, I kind of like Gallman. I mean, not, that's not necessarily the same boat starting the season. One was a starter, one was a walk-on. But just completely I had no idea how 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 much how good they would be Hunter Renfro is not just a a second tier player that gets in and mop up duty and, and can block a few guys he's a player he can he is a receiver he, yeah and I, you know and I tried to tell you that earlier Cody um, I, I don't even think you knew season. I don't even think you fully knew how good he was I think you just kind of liked the name he had a good highlight film well somebody has to be positive about things around <laughs> here I'll take credit where I can uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the defense uh again right now as, as talented as we are on offense, the defense is still our best overall unit uh, from you know one through eleven on the, for the starters. What are we looking for here? Does Boston College even score in this game? It's very likely that they don't. 
Our front seven is going to be dominant, and they don't have a big play capability like Georgia Tech did, um, where you're focusing on that option and they throw one over your head. Yeah, I exactly. I think the better question is, do they even score? Is who wins the game, Boston College's offense or Clemson's defense? I think we, we there's a great chance we'll actually score more points than them from turnovers, pick six, fumble recoveries. Oh, so you're saying you think our defense scores more than their offense? Yes. I, I would agree. Absolutely. Especially, yeah, especially with the penetration and, and the disruption up front. Would not be surprised. I mean, you, you'd ask me to place a bet right now, I'd probably take Clemson's defense over Boston College's offense. Um, and I think one, one other thing, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, was just no big plays. And that, again, that's more a function of going to sleep a little bit. You're, you're uh, you, Mackenzie Alexander, again, you're like that right fielder in Little League. The ball doesn't come to you. The one time it does, you're not ready because you're picking your nose. I don't think Mackenzie Alexander's picking his nose, but he does get probably a little overzealous wanting to go make um, make that open field tackle. Or get that first interception. Or Yeah, maybe. The, yeah, exactly. How does this kind of have an interception? Well, I guess there's pretty good reasoning. No one throws his way. But, yeah, so uh, I guess we can move to predictions or do you have any do you have any other points on special teams i'll just say special teams real quick can anyone on our team kick it in the end zone please we need somebody to kick it in the end zone um hugel i think still has the the field goal kicking job i do wonder though if he misses one or two does Dabo use that as an excuse to get lake up in there um lake up looked good by the way Came in that one, one what was it, a 44-yarder? Like 42. It's a 42, yeah. he kicked it like, he had 60 yards on that on that kick. He looked good. Right uh, down the middle. Yeah, it's a 42-yarder. Um, Andy Teasdall, he continues to improve in the punting game. This was a big concern for me at the beginning of the year. He's done great. He's booming the ball. Man, I mean, field position battle, that's huge. Yeah, no, I agree. He, he's look, he looked better, and you kind of think of like a, the, your leg strength as a punter kind of being a fixed element but you know he's, he's gotten better maybe that's that's a you know thing of confidence and he's he's uh, pulling it together a little bit um so w- going now to predictions um let me go ahead and first say Tully not here has 24-7 Clemson um Ben what do you have I really want to call a shutout in this game. I really do. Um, and I'm going to, I promise, one time this year. Um, I see that some other opportunities on our schedule, uh, possibly one that you wouldn't expect. I'm not going to call it in this game, but I am going to say this is 30-3. to I think their lone field goal, though, uh, does come on an offensive turnover that puts them in good field position, and they get a close field goal. Has to be within 30. Outside of that, I don't feel confident they're going to hit it. Either way, 30-3, we control this game throughout. Clemson wins. I like it. I'm going a little bit a little bit uh, higher for Clemson, 35-7 with you. That seven points will either come late in the game when our second string second stringers are in or uh, it, or it's going to come at the uh, you know from offensive field position, leaving us in a bad spot. And then the 35 is not just going to be our offense, hopefully, you know, looking pretty fluid. It's also going to be the defense making their uh, making their presence felt. So I think I think we will. I think it's I think Boston College is, uh, their defense will give us some trouble. It won't be you know the air show like it was you know against like say North Carolina last year. Yeah, you got us with five touchdowns. I, I do, I do. So around college football, I think 
I mean, I don't want to say that we're not excited about a Clemson's game because we certainly are. But now, when you when you have your dog in the fight, you're a top five team, maybe top four team. You start gandering around. You want to see what everyone else is is uh, bringing to the table, not just from a ranking standpoint, but you know, are they are they good? So you know, starting out, Penn State at Iowa, or I'm sorry, Penn State at Ohio State. Uh, what what's your thoughts there? I don't think Penn State wins this game, but they could. Uh, Ohio State has been very vulnerable. They haven't looked great at all this year. I don't think they have their quarterback situation worked out yet. So, you know, they're, this is a decent Penn State team they're playing, and they could lose any game, you know, against a decent team on their schedule right now. They played Indiana close, so Penn State certainly has a shot. We'd like to see them get a loss. My My theory on Ohio State is they do have a second gear that – or a gear that no one else has. And I think they'll probably get to it by the end of the year or get close to it. I hope they can have a loss, maybe two losses on their on their resume before that happens. Yeah, and again, I compare them to Florida State um, the year after their national championship, which would have been last year. Yeah, and I mean, it looks like they're not the same team. Granted, this time last year, Ohio State wasn't the team that they ultimately went on to be. So Urban Meyer's a great coach. Don't discount that guy. Uh, other Big Ten uh, game, which is probably a little bit more appealing, and that's Michigan State at Michigan. You have the Michigan State, who have not earned their number seven ranking. Michigan, one loss, but they've looked good under Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, you keep seeing Michigan State fall in the polls, even though they keep winning. I, I think they really get exposed in this game. Michigan is better than I thought they would be, especially off after that uh, week one loss, I think, to it was to Utah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but they've been playing good football. Uh, Michigan moves up, Michigan State loses, and they drop out of the conversation. Yeah, kind of what you were hoping. Uh, losses, losses, losses. And But this I, Michigan team, they've got a loss on their schedule. They could beat Ohio State at the end of the year. Yep. It could. Yeah, and that's great. It's good to see a third team emerge because what we were seeing initially, like you had the, the Baylor and the TCU and the Big 12, it was really only two, you know, it was top-heavy. The only two teams that really looked like they were significant. Same in the in the Big 10, now you have... Michigan's Michigan emerging, so that's that's a good thing. Um, going back to the the Big Twelve, so you have you have WVU uh, West Virginia at Baylor. Any chance there's a let up game there at home? No, I think out of the two Big Twelve teams in Baylor and TCU, Baylor is the one that actually looks legitimate. I think they cruise by West Virginia. So the next up, number three TCU, got TCU at Ohio, at Iowa State. They haven't looked great against inferior opponents all year. Ohio State is a very inferior opponent, um, but I still think they crush Iowa State. Iowa State is just not that good. If they don't beat them by a large margin, we win. You're going to see them drop behind us. I would, I can almost guarantee that. Yeah, they put up a stinker uh, against. Um, it's kind of I've lost it right now. I but think Minnesota, uh, the first game of the year. Yeah, yeah, and and most recently, God, completely. Completely drawn a blank, but TCU squeaked a lot out. Um, going on to Utah, you got Arizona State, who did beat UCLA um, by a, you know quite a margin at Utah. I think this I, Utah doesn't blow me away by any means, and you know I, I watched them against California last week. They're not a bad team by, by any means, but they don't they don't like have that same dominance in the trenches. They don't really do anything great. They have a pretty good running back, really good running back. Um, this could be a loss for them. It could be their first loss, and that's, again, it's what we want, losses. Yeah, they could win. They could lose. The The story here is that they could lose. Um, I think that's going to kind of how it is going to be with their schedule for the rest of the year. Yeah. And then lastly, 
the the SEC. So you, someone's getting their first loss here. And uh, yeah, first you have Alabama. They already have a loss at Texas A&M. That high up tempo offense that Texas A&M has has been uh, really really tough for Alabama uh, traditionally, or at least over the last few years. I mean, what do you expect there? I think Alabama is a lot is actually for an SEC team. I know we talk about how they are always they're in recent uh, years have been overranked. I think Alabama is better than they're ranking at number ten right now, and I think that shows up in this game. Um, I think they beat Texas A&M. I think even though with that loss to Ole Miss, I think Alabama is a really good team, and I still think they're the best team in the SEC, even uh, taking LSU and Leonard Fournette in, into consideration. Yeah, I agree. I think they're they are the best team. They're better than their number ten ranking. Uh, conversely, Texas A and M is not as good as their number nine ranking. So yeah, I agree with you. I think they'll they'll beat Texas A and M. And then you have Florida at LSU. Um, for one, no no PEDs for uh, for Greer, uh, Florida's quarterback. No no more uh, 2015 for him either because he's he's gone. Um, someone was going to get a loss here. It's probably going to be Florida. Like you know, at this point, especially going into the other Death Valley. Yeah. So we thought that LSU might actually get a uh, a true test with this Florida team, and then we could see what Florida was made of. Being, I think they're five and zero and undefeated. They lose a starting quarterback. Yeah, maybe he's not. You know, maybe they're going defense and do other things well on offense. But that's still a big deal. Um, so I think LSU win this wins this game, and we don't get to really see a. LSU don't have a true test. We don't get a good gauge of how good they really are. We're gonna have to wait until they play Alabama to see that. That's yeah. That's a it's that's very true. And at least we can enjoy Fournette for maybe this year, probably this year only. And he's a great player against a good defense, good Florida defense. Uh, PEDs notwithstanding. Um, I guess one other game. Well, uh, we'll we'll touch on really quick Louisville at Florida State. We finally got a. A mutual opponent for uh, that, you know, for for Florida State. Granted, we were at Louisville. This is at in in Tallahassee, so it's a little different. Yeah, um, it's still a common opponent. I still think Florida State wins this game, but it's interesting to see the matchups. Louisville, you would think, would get better as the season goes along, especially with their quarterback situation. Um, so it'll be interesting to see here how Florida State handles them, and then we can kind of start to do a comparison between us and Florida State to see where we stand coming up um, that game in early November. Yeah, absolutely. So lastly, around kind of around the league, a um, few other like sports. I think you you you've felt compelled to you know, speak on a few of them. Uh, we know basketball is about to start. But there's some other stuff going on too. Yeah, it's it's not all just football, guys. You know, we got basketball starting up, and I know things haven't been great for uh, Clemson basketball in, in the past few years. And uh, we're playing in Greenville this year. I still think for what we've got to work with, Brad Brennell is doing a really good job. So I'm I'm excited to see how this basketball season starts to shape up. I'm really excited about Jerron Blossom game. We'll do a preview here in the coming weeks of the basketball team. And, yeah, I'm just – I'm actually really excited to see what they can do this year. Uh, kind of flipping to baseball, uh, uh, the Clemson baseball recruiting class ranked 23rd under Monty Lee. Uh, we're going to start talking about that again. You know, in the offseason, we talked a lot about Jack Leckett's departure, Monty Lee coming in. We're getting closer and closer to the beginning of baseball season. It'll be coming up, I think, uh, uh, in 
into February, beginning of March for college baseball. Yeah. Um, and speaking of that, Jack Leggett, we hear interviewing for the Auburn job, knew he wouldn't be gone from that for too long for baseball. He loves the game too much. Again, wish him well and all the best. Uh, last thing we'll talk about, Clemson soccer. Man, the men, 10-1-2, ranked number five. The women, 10-2-1, ranked number six. That's big. I mean, it's like the fourth biggest sport outside of football, then basketball, baseball. Come soccer. It's an Olympic sport. It's big. We kind of gave TDP some hell when he was here about how our Olympic sports started to decline. I think you got to give D-Rad some credit here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's his third year. I don't. I, it's hard to understand the correlation there. Clemson's always been pretty solid in soccer, but yeah, I mean, it's good that we're doing well in these sports. In the case that football ever uh, shuts down altogether because of the CTE ep- epidemic, then we're going to turn our, our focus to to soccer. And granted, and we have a good men's and women's soccer team. Hey, soccer's getting bigger in this country. It's a very slow um, progression in kind of the popularity of it. But again, it is the fourth kind of biggest sport and yeah to see our men and women doing so well if they're in the NCAA championship game you can't tell me that all Clemson alum and fans and students there won't be in the bars watching that game maybe even traveling to the game it's exciting you see what happens when the USA plays in the World Cup um, and does well I mean once every four years uh, Americans get really excited about soccer and if it happens to the Clemson team Clemson fan base will get excited about it. Yeah, we'll jump jump on that bandwagon just at the right time. Um, but I think that's it. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, again, just a quick shout out. You can go to clemsonpodcast.com. Uh, there you can. There's a quick link. You can uh, be notified anytime we post a link. Follow us on iTunes. There are any other uh, podcast apps available? We're we're there. Um, as always, go Tigers.